In a world ruled by emotion, where reason is abandoned, God is forsaken, and history forgotten, two brave men will attempt to do the unthinkable. Use their brains. Armed with ancient wisdom, they will bring light into our modern world. This is the Sons of Antiquity Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Sons of Antiquity Podcast. I am your host, Daniel. And I'm joined in the studio by my co-host, Evan. How's it going? On today's episode, we will be discussing the history of fighting sports. Maybe also known as blood sport. Maybe also known as combat sports. So here's what we're going to cover on today's episode. What is a fighting sport? We'll tell you all about it. How did our own fight go? Yes, we fought. Here at the Sons of Antiquity podcast, we put our money where our mouths are. Why do humans enjoy fighting and spectating? Is it immoral or moral? Early Eastern combat sports is where we'll start with the history. Then we'll move on to Greek Olympic wrestling, gladiatorial games, uh, Native American blood sports and combat sports. Then we'll cover jousting and dueling. And then we'll get into the growth of modern boxing and uh, mention a few famous characters along the way. And then we'll move into the fully commercialized fighting that we all know and love today. Then we'll give you a quick rundown of some of the best fights of real life and myth, and then we'll ask our violent video games a fighting sport and have a little mini debate there. And then finally, what is the future of fighting sports? Will it be robot battles, 1v1 quickscopes, fight clubs? Who can say? Okay, starting out with what is a fighting sport? A fighting sport or combat sport is any competition in which participants, usually fighting one-on-one, attempt to score points, knock each other down, pin, hold, or otherwise incapacitate their opponent by making physical contact using their bodies or specialized weaponry. Examples include boxing, wrestling, sumo, karate, and jiu-jitsu, and all martial arts in general. Fencing, jousting, stick fighting, uh, airsoft, and paintball, and even demolition derby. This episode will mainly focus on the more traditional types of fighting, though we mention paintball and demolition derbies because they technically meet the definition and are very popular. It's also worth noting that blood sports also include fights between animals. These are encouraged by humans for sport, most notably dogfighting and cockfighting, still very popular in the third world. Yes. And also fights between animals and humans, such as bullfighting and alligator wrangling. We will not discuss these, but please note that dog fighting and cockfighting are illegal in all 50 states, and some may say they're pretty messed up, too. Yeah, we don't advocate for that. Don't go out and do that. And if you do, uh, do it at your own risk. You may be in legal trouble. I will say that Costa Rica apparently loves uh, cockfighting. Really? It's like their national sport. I and didn't They were really that. mad when it was in the last few decades that the U.S. government made them stop. And you said it was Puerto Rico or Costa Rica? I'm sorry, Puerto Rico. Oh, okay, in Puerto Rico. Yeah, uh, because they're a territory. territory. Yeah. yeah. And they're fighting against it, for sure. Really? So there are people out, like, protesting in the streets saying, we want to be able to cockfight. It's not just them. It's the government itself is fighting against it. I bet it's probably, like, pretty lucrative. That's why. Like it, and, and everyone loves it. Oh, wow. I did not know. That, that is an interesting little bit of, of trivia there. And that's just so foreign to me because that's just something I have, I've never even seen – in person, have you anything like that? Any animal fighting of any kind? Well, no, because if you do witness it, it's a, it's a crime. It'd probably a felony to intentionally witness a dog fight. Yeah, probably, and not like report it. Yeah, you yeah. don't want to end up like Michael Vick. 
So let's move on to our second point here uh, about our own fight. How did that go? Um, Evan, you want to you wanna take that first? I can. I must say it's the, the first fight I've ever been in. In your I, adult life? Ever. Really? Ever? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've wrestled some, but I've never been full out punched by anybody. I was like slap punched by someone once, but I don't count it. And the first time I've ever thrown a punch at a, a person. Yeah. So it was a big moment and definitely off my bucket list. Right on, man. Yeah. That's always good, crossing stuff off your bucket list. And, uh, you know, it's a double whammy because you got to do it for the podcast too. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so you got punched. Yes. and And you got to throw a punch. Yes. Now, uh, which one did you prefer? <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> you know, actually, I'm going to say I preferred getting punched. Just, yeah. Just to. It's actually not yeah. like a joke of a question. Like, no. it's a legit question. <laughs> yeah, because getting punched, it was revelatory. It's something I, I wasn't terrified of, but it was kind of suspenseful. Like, what's it actually feel like to be punched? Mm-hmm. And, well, I was like, oh, it's, it stings, but it's not the end of the world. No. Yeah. Not at all. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah, so uh, I'll go a little bit behind the, the numbers here. What we did, uh, so Evan and I decided when we were going to do this episode that that we were going to fight. And we had had this idea for a long time of just, hey, let's just go out and let's just fight. You know, it'd be fun. And um, kind of kept putting it off and, you know, just it's just something that wasn't a main priority. But then when this episode kind of started going back and forth between us in our in our minds, we said, this is a perfect opportunity, so let's do it. Because we do so much outside of the podcast, you know, for this. You know, we try to do things in real life. Like we, uh, you know, we went to church or we did um, the fast in episode two. So we wanted this to be another example of that. And so the other day we set aside some time, found a arena, I guess you could call it, and uh, set out some rules. And um, what we decided on was only body shots. So you could punch any any part of the torso, but nothing in the head, nothing below the belt, and no holds barred, and we would just kind of go from there. And that's what we did. So we, we did maybe, what, three rounds? Yeah. Yeah. And there's uh, some grappling, some punching. It was awesome. Uh, I had a really fun time. 10 out of 10 would, re- would recommend, would do again. For sure. Everyone ought to. I think so. Every man ought to. Yeah, maybe not women. Yeah. But now, I, I would say that you did, if if we had been judged, you would have won, but it wouldn't have been a KO kind of situation. It oh, no. It would have been like no judges decide that yeah. you won. Because I got a few good punches in, you got a few more good punches in than I did. I think that's fair to say. But um, we we determined later that my reach is is a bit farther, yeah. and um, that may have contributed some. But uh, one interesting thing uh, was that, yeah, I was very sore the next day. And not even just from getting hit, but like just from just the the strain of it. You don't realize how much you are tensing up your muscles when you're doing all that. But you know you're kind of like you're you're kind of trying to shrink your body in so you're less of a target. So you're kind of crunched up, and then you're immediately whoa explosive coming out, and then going right back in. And so that if you're not used to that, that over and over again expansion contraction uh, can be tough. And then the grappling, of course. You know, I hit the ground and I was like, oh man, my ribs. So yeah, I would say we were even on the ground. Yeah, probably pretty even cuz we're both about the same weight. We're both middleweight. I looked it up in boxing. Really? Yep. Uh what so do you happen to know off the top of your head what how they so, kind of break down? Well, there's lots of classes, but I think it's 154 to 160 was middleweight. middleweight. I think oh. we're both about that. Well, let's move on here and uh, discuss why humans enjoy fighting and spectating. And then we'll ask is it immoral to do so? Obviously, 
the world would be a very different place if humans weren't so good at engaging in violence, whether against the natural world, other species, or each other. Humans have mastered it and learned to love it. In fact, research suggests that violence, both real and even simulated, has an effect on the brain that is strikingly similar to sex and drug use. All three of these activities release the chemical dopamine, which is sometimes called the pleasure chemical. Dopamine is released when we do something pleasurable, and when this happens, we develop a stronger association between the pleasurable feelings and the activity that caused them, creating a loop of reward-seeking behavior. For example, lab rats will keep pushing a button over and over again if it means they can get more food. Their brains are wired to take pleasure in eating. They eat, they feel even better, they associate that feeling with eating, they push the button, the cycle continues. As it turns out, the same thing applies to violence. In an experiment conducted at Vanderbilt University, two mice were placed in a cage, one male, one female. Then the female was removed and another male mouse was introduced. The first mouse saw him as an intruder, and he said, I am a fight, and proceeded to engage him in open combat. Then the first mouse was trained to push a button, which would allow the intruder mouse to re-enter the cage after each fight, even after he was removed by the researchers. These researchers observed that the first mouse would consistently choose to bring the intruder back into the cage just to fight him. Finally, the researchers gave the first mouse drugs that would block dopamine in his brain, and sure enough, the mouse was less likely to voluntarily fight the intruder again and again. So it would seem that the chemical reward centers of the brain fuel our desire to fight. And this makes sense in terms of evolutionary biology. Members of the species who didn't enjoy fighting were less likely to fight, of course, which means they were less likely to defeat enemies, less likely to secure resources like food, land, and women, less likely to reproduce, and less likely to pass on their virgin genes, while the chads had tons of kids who in turn loved violence. And as for women, there is an innate drive within them to defend offspring and protect the people and environment that keeps them safe. It serves the same evolutionary purpose. Organized violence was used by most societies as a way to prepare boys for manhood. And we still see traces of it in our rapidly feminizing age. Dads roughhouse with their kids, especially boys, although that's coming under fire. Yes, as everything is. Yeah. Allowing the young ones to become tougher, learn how to employ aggression in a controlled way, strategize, and gain mental and emotional self-control. So you don't realize that you can't just load, you can't go, go all out on your opponent. Mm-mm. It doesn't work, so you have to control yourself. And also, in turn, learn to control your emotions so you don't just go crazy. Yeah, because it's easy to get overwhelmed when you're faced with something. There's like the flight or fight drive in you no matter what even if you recognize it's just a competition it's just a a friendly whatever even if you're playing football or basketball there's going to be some nerves when you're competing like that and yeah you do have to learn to manage those in order to focus that energy towards a productive goal Mm -hmm. and you can also see this in young dogs who love to play fight all the time that's all they do as boys get older many fathers heavily encourage them to join sports especially team sports Team sports give boys sociability, teamwork, and physical training. In primitive ages, this culminated in a serious rite of passage, where a boy had to undergo severe hardship and challenges in order to be accepted as a man in the tribe. A scrappy boy who was trained in the ways of the tribe would be a valuable asset in the community in wartime and peacetime. And one quick point there, um, as far as rites of passage go, that's one thing that many people have observed that rites of passage really 
for men these days in the West, they don't exist. No. I mean, there are some. There's yeah, some. But they're not nearly the same, and they don't happen early enough. Yeah, and there's the there's the low key religious ones like confirmation or bar mitzvah. Sure, but I I think they need to be more strenuous and more physical. Yeah, I mean, if you were just off the top of your head to think about what are some rites of passage for a young man in America today, it's maybe you know graduating from elementary school. Wow, you know, and middle then, school, high unfortunately, school. Unfortunately, it's like losing your virginity is another rite of passage. Yeah, yeah, that one. Uh, just getting a car. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow, your parents bought something for you. You know, you <laughs> didn't do anything to earn it necessarily. Yeah, maybe you got some good grades, but did you do anything really strenuous? Did you do anything risky? Did you do anything that took you out of your comfort zone and made you more of a mentally tough man prepared for life? And you see lots of young men who never, since they never had a rite of passage, they kind of act childish. Yes. In many ways. Man-child. Man-child. Yes. Definitely is a thing. I would agree. And that's a shame. But what about spectating? Uh, There are two reasons we love to watch fights. First, the drama. Humans love a show, and they love a story. And every fight is a story, a clash between participants with highs and lows and a back and forth. And each fighter has a story, whether they are the underdog seeking glory or a a champion defending a well-earned title. Humans enjoy watching those dramas play out just like in the movies or in a play or or reading a book. Second, living through others. Maybe we can't fight or we don't want to fight or we have never had the chance. So the second best thing is to watch someone else do it. Humans are social creatures and we love to cheer for the team and feel like we are a part of a group. When we watch a combat sport, we can feel like we are a part of a group that is fighting another group. Uh, The Tyson fans versus the Holyfield fans which taps into the most primitive and most ingrained part of our brains. But we must ask, are these sports moral? Most people in the effeminate West would say forcing animals to fight is horrific. Probably people would want the death penalty for that and nothing else. But Certainly the PETA crowd. <laughs> yeah. Though many in the third world would vehemently object to this. Humans fighting animals can be justified if there's a purpose to it, like self-defense, capturing the animal, or hunting. Is it barbaric for humans to fight each other for entertainment? That's the real question. Um, My opinion on this may differ from Dan's somewhat. We'll see. Of course, fighting to defend oneself or others from aggression is fine, justified. And training to be more capable of defending oneself is fine too, or just training to gain more strength in general. Of course, that's good. But fighting people to entertain spectators could easily be seen as dehumanizing the fighters. That's my conclusion. Uh, It's one thing for two bros to fight it out for recreational purposes, but having ravenous spectators crosses the line, in my opinion. Uh, They're probably not there to learn about fighting techniques. They want to see blood and someone to get knocked out. Yeah. If long-term damage results from the sport regularly, it's even more immoral. But the same could be said of football, though the objective of football is not to inflict violence but to score points. Violence Violence is just like a secondary thing. Yeah, incidental. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I can see that point of view. However, when it comes to human versus human fights, I would say that we can't rob the fighters of their agency. We, you have to admit, they are consenting to this. They want this. Well, you know, for better or for worse, they have a drive in them that makes them want to fight. And if they get paid along the way, that's a bonus for them. You know, but some, a lot of them don't even do it for the money. They just love to scrap. They just love to beat up and get beat up. Maybe there's some people in the world who can't understand that. I personally, I, I can totally understand that. 
totally understand where people are coming from when they enter the sport and they're okay with the consequences. Now, um, I would agree, though, that the animal fighting, that's wrong. I mean, these animals literally didn't do nothing. They were just living their life, and then some humans grabbed them up, forced them into these violent encounters. However, the video that went viral a while ago of the guy punching the kangaroo to save his dog, that's epic. So that kind of animal violence, that was okay for me. That was more of a self-defense issue or or a defense issue. Uh, And alligator and croc wrestlers, let's just talk about them real quick. Those guys are beasts. And you're not hurting a thousand-pound dinosaur by jumping on its back. You jump on that croc, it doesn't. It doesn't care. Literally, that's not a PETA issue. You're not harming these animals. They've been around for like hundreds of millions of years. They're going to be around for another hundred million years. So don't worry about the crocodiles, in my opinion. And uh, I'm okay with snake fighting because I've seen that, and I don't care about snakes. There's a million of them. They can fight each other with like knives attached to their heads. I don't care. <laughs> I didn't know that was the thing. Yeah, I think so. And if you go back and you watch um, uh, the first James Bond movie with Daniel Craig, that was Casino Royale. In the very beginning scene, the chase scene, there's like a snake fighting like a, uh, I can't remember, what's that little really scrappy animal? Honey badger maybe or something? Oh. Yeah, it's it's a snake versus that thing. And I think it had a knife attached to its head. And that's how they do the cockfighting you know, It's sometimes. probably a mongoose. Oh, there you go. Yeah, I think it was a mongoose. And... um. Yeah, with the cockfighting, they have, like, blades, razor blades attached to them. And then they peck each other and hit each other, and then they cut each other's throats. That's how they do it. But anyways, going back to you, you made the point about humans fighting that it's, um, you know, consensual. I agree, but I don't think just because something is consensual makes it right. Uh, uh, It's an important distinction. I would just say that just because two people uh, agree to do something with each other that doesn't affect anyone else. I don't, I don't agree with the conclusion that that means it's okay because they agreed to it. Okay. That's all I have to say about that. Fair enough. Let's dive into the early Eastern combat sports, the very origin of the topic at hand. It's no surprise that fighting sports have existed since the very first civilizations rose to prominence and probably existed in prehistory as well. Life was harder, men were manlier, and there was no Netflix. People had to entertain themselves somehow, and what better way to do that? than to practice the same skills that could one day save your tribe or nation from extinction or enslavement at the hands of other men who were also training in the same way. Better yet, why not invite other nations to compete as well, to foster alliances, cooperate, and show goodwill? But we'll get to that once we talk about the ancient Greeks. The earliest known fighting sports were invented in Sumer, in Mesopotamia, between the Tigris and Euphrates rivers over 5,000 years ago and involved combinations of wrestling and boxing. Ancient drawings from Vietnam uh, show evidence of spear and stick fighting around the same time. Similar fighting was done in ancient Egypt starting around 1300 BC. And in fact, during the Middle Kingdom of Egypt, which was about 4,000 years ago, wrestling techniques were detailed in tombs at Beni Hassan. The illustrations in these tombs show men organized in different ways, in gymnasiums, fighting hand-to-hand and with weapons, and it even shows them stretching. You know, you should always stretch before any vigorous physical activity, especially fighting. Very important. Very important. The Minoans of Crete had organized fist fighting around that same time. The artwork from this era gives us the earliest known examples of fighters using gloves. And of course, we can't talk about martial arts without talking about China. One of the first treatises on martial arts was penned by the Yellow Emperor Huangdi around 2700 BC. As we know, many more texts on new and improved methods of warfare were written throughout China's long history. 
Now let's move on to Greek Olympic wrestling. Greek wrestling, or Pale, was the first non-racing event to be added to the ancient Greek Olympics in 708 BC. Wrestling could be it was kind of could be divided into two types: upright and ground wrestling. Wrestlers would start in a standing position and attempt to throw or sweep the other person until their back or one of their shoulders touched the floor. If this was not achieved, the sport could continue on the ground until submission occurred. Biting and eye gouging were the only prohibitions. The person who gained three points first won. It is remarkably similar to wrestling today. So you said you couldn't bite or gouge. Could you punch or anything? Yeah. Oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah, you could do anything. In fact, there was a guy who was known for, to get out of holds, he would break his own fingers. Oh, man. Yeah. In order to, to loosen his grip? Or the person's... to get to get loose of the other guy's grip. Oh, he would, wait, he would break the other guy's fingers? Or he would break was, his I own? I think it was his own fingers to get out of them. Mm. If they, like, had his hand or something, they were about to, like, twist it. Oh, well, so I he guess just, that would do it. He, I don't know what he did, but he would just break his fingers. What a savage. Yeah. <laughs> That's the only reason we know him today is just because he had that weird move. He yeah. wasn't notable in any other way. <laughs> All right, so the most famous wrestler of antiquity was Milo of Croton. He came from a Greek colony in southern Italy in the 500s BC and won the wrestling competition in six Olympic Games and seven Pythian Games. Wow. The legend goes that he trained by carrying a newborn calf every day until it was a full-grown ox, which is such a good story. Yeah. When it first came out of the womb, he was just carrying it on his shoulders. And as it got bigger and bigger, he just... He had gained enough muscle every day to be able to hold more and more. Yeah, that's actually a pretty good method. Yeah, uh, it's actually impossible. Someone I I heard a medical professional talk about it. You can't gain muscle that quickly. The, yeah, probably the, not. The, and it gets like too big for anyone to be able to carry it. But yeah, the full-grown great... ox would be like probably close to a thousand pounds. Yeah. I imagine. Still, it's a great story. So while it's definitely an exaggeration or fiction, it inspired what we now call progressive resistance training. Or, as I like to say, starting from the bottom, now we're swole. (laughs) Wrestling was an integral part of Greek culture for hundreds of years. Even Plato reportedly wrestled at a high level, perhaps even at the Isthmian Games. Uh, His nickname Plato may have come from the Greek word for wide, referring to his forehead or his robust shoulders and body. We prefer the latter. Oh, yeah. Now, what about the gladiatorial games? Gladiatorial games began in the late Roman Republic as public spectacles. They were organized by up-and-coming politicians and the rich to gain popularity with the masses who enjoyed being entertained for days at a time. Caesar was the first to use them to a, a huge extent to gain power with the plebs. As the Roman Republic transformed into the, the empire, emperors were the main patrons of such events. Gladiators were mostly slaves and prisoners of war who were trained to be fighters. A very small minority of them were volunteers who wanted fame and riches. Gladiators fought each other until one person was about to be killed. At that point, the loser appealed to the crowd and the organizer for mercy. If they were brave fighters and they had the people's favor, the emperor's favor, the emperor and crowd may have allowed them to fight another day. Otherwise, they were killed by the victor. Emperors sometimes orchestrated marvelous games for the people. The Colosseum could be flooded to perform massive mock naval battles. They also portrayed famous land battles from Roman history. You could say they were the original war reenactors, like your weird distant cousin who always fights on the side of the Confederates in Civil War reenactments, but he's not a racist, I swear. Exotic animals were also brought in to be hunted or to fight each other for public entertainment. Uh, Caesar was the first to bring in giraffes to the Roman people, and they were just amazed. 
Oh, yeah, I bet they'd never even seen or thought of such yeah. an animal. Now, this was like, he was only able to do that because the Romans had expanded so far into North Africa. Yeah, it probably had something to do with Egypt and Cleopatra. Uh, The gladiators eventually morphed into highly competitive horse races in the Byzantine or Eastern Roman Empire. You know, it was Christian and they didn't want, like, they were the ones getting sacrificed in these games, so they they were not too keen to continue them. Yeah. So plebs would be obsessively attached to a certain racing team and cause violence against other teams on the streets. There was literally, like, a green team and a blue team and... And they would fight each other if if they were mad, like, oh, yeah. you guys cheated. Yeah. They would just fight other plebs on the streets, just huge gang fights. Sometimes these teams would be attached to certain theological positions. I'm oh. serious. Like, someone would be Aryan, someone would be, like, Orthodox Christians, and they would – it would it, – that would add to the fire. Yeah. You know, not much has changed, yeah, I guess, is, you know. It's hilarious that they're, like, <laughs> killing each other over dogma, but – no, you never see that today. But. Uh, but you do see people fighting each other over sports teams. Yeah, definitely. So. That hasn't changed one bit. So even the famous Byzantine emperor Justinian I had to deal with the massive riot in Constantinople over the races. It took weeks, and he ended up, like, killing tens of thousands of people. <laughs> I shouldn't be laughing. but they, like, I mean, they were burning the city down. Yeah. So mm. he had to flee. Really? It yeah. was that bad over a race? Yeah. Hmm. Get it together, guys. Yeah. <laughs> it must be noted that gladiatorial fights are the only blood sport we will mention today which involves involuntary participation. Is it a sport then? I would say it's more of a violent spectacle than a sport. But it was bloody nonetheless. Now how about Native American blood sports and combat sports? The Maya and Inca peoples of Central and South America developed a version of racquetball which would put its modern counterpart to shame. Uh, the game was much more violent and often ended with the losing team being sacrificed. And I even read that there are some there's some evidence that they would be beheaded and the heads would be used as balls oh. or decoration or in, used in some way in the game for the next round. So you got to play with the dead players who came before you on the court. That's metal. Yeah, <laughs> really metal. And as far back as 2,500 years ago, some native tribes played an early version of lacrosse, which was less about fun and more about simulating actual battle. It was also used as a method of toughening up young men uh, to turn them into warriors. Games would go on for days, and teams were large with dozens or even a hundred or more players. The lacrosse sticks were, of course, made of wood or bone and animal skin, and there were no helmets and no padding, so I'm sure there was a lot of whacking people with sticks, throwing whatever ball or or rock was used uh, to move up and down the field, throwing it at each other. Yeah, I'm sure it was pretty brutal. So now we come to jousting. Jousting was a popular European sport from the 1200s to the 1500s. It was a public spectacle formatted as a tournament, with large audiences and one winner at the end. Two men of noble birth would ride at each other on horseback and attempt to strike the other with his wooden lance. Rules varied over time. At first, the sport was notoriously dangerous, and no tournament would be complete without injuries or deaths. Though the lances were would be made of hollow wood and fitted with blunted heads, the object was still to knock the opponent off of his horse, so you can imagine just getting knocked off your horse could kill you. They would continue doing rides until there was a clear winner. In older times, fights would con- sometimes continue off-horse with swords, though this was usually due to some personal beef between the knights. As the sport became more safety-conscious, the object became to score the most points by hitting the other shields or parts of his body, and knights were highly armored. Sometimes grudge matches were organized where lethal weapons were used and murder was intended. Ooh, that's pretty That's pretty rough. I mean, just imagine 
going into that. Uh, jousting has always struck me as one of those sports that I would gain no pleasure from participating in or watching. Yeah. I mean, it's like certain death. No. You know? No, you lived more than you died. But, I mean, it's so, so dangerous. And it's just, okay, you charge at them, you hit them. It's not. It doesn't seem to me like it would be a lot of action. I would rather watch a sword fight or something like that. But to get hit with a big wooden lance or something right in the chest, fall off a horse, ooh, I'm I'm probably dead. I'm well, just going to say I'm probably dead. The first jousting was actually more of a, like, everyone kills everyone kind of situation. It was just like a big group of people that would go around and try to knock each other off the horse. Oh, more than two people in a in yeah. an arena? Yeah. Oh, no, I, that's a little more, more exciting. Yeah, but then it, it slowly became like one-on-one. But at first it was just a big group and you tried to knock everyone else off their horse. Now that's kind of like a demolition derby, and yeah. I would watch that. Yeah, because <laughs> you could get hit from all sides. you gotta be, you got to have eyes in the back of your head. Yep. And how can you see in your little night helmet? You know, you got like one little slit to see out of. Ooh, that's that'd be exciting. Now, what about dueling? Uh, I kind of just mentioned that a minute ago. That that would be more my style. Uh, dueling was unknown in ancient civilizations, only among the uh, Gaelic and Germanic barbarians. Even after they were Christianized, dueling to the death, without guns, of course, uh, remained uh, legally and culturally legitimate. Popes first condemned dueling uh, in the 860s, and many, at least a dozen, have condemned it since. The Catholic Church saw it as murder, since it was voluntary, and uh, not in self-defense. And anyone who was involved in dueling was excommunicated and denied a Christian funeral. So if you were caught doing that, that was over yep. for you, as far as the church was concerned, I yep. guess. Modern dueling uh, was a European and then American method of dealing with perceived or actual dishonor to one's reputation by another man. In uh, 1838, the governor of South Carolina, uh, John Lyde Wilson, wrote an Americanized version of dueling practices. I just think it's hilarious the governor of South Carolina is the one doing this. It seems appropriate. Yeah, who's the governor of South Carolina right now? Do you know? I don't know. Uh, just imagine any any South Carolinian politician doing that these days. Oh, Lindsey Graham, he's he's not a, the governor. No. But imagine Lindsey Graham saying, all right, y'all, so here's how we're going <laughs> to duel. I'm going to lay out the, all, all the rules and regulations. Uh, after an act of dishonor, the offended party sent a challenge to his enemy uh, through a second, I guess like a, a someone else, like a yes. messenger. Uh, the seconds were friends of each party who acted as a reconciliatory middleman. They tried to defuse the situation before someone died. If the offender apologized, the matter was settled. In America, death by dueling was actually not the norm. Accuracy was difficult due to unreliable gunsmithing, and usually injuries caused the affair to end. Also, lots of times they would intentionally miss in order just in, to fulfill their honor. Or do a Hamilton, right? And shoot in the sky. Yeah. Uh, however, deaths, even involving prominent people, did occur. Um, as you just said, I'm sure you all know about the famous Burr versus Hamilton duel where Hamilton died. Andrew Jackson dueled many times and killed a man dishonorably on one occasion. Really? Was this before or after his presidency? I wouldn't be surprised if it was during, but it was, <laughs> it was before. Oh, wow. Yeah. But he was still a politician then, like a senator or something. Yeah. It's amazing how that didn't really affect his political career. That I mean, if if a politician today dueled and like just killed someone dishonorably, I mean, that would they'd be more than canceled, you know? Yeah. I mean, he was kind of the Trump of his day, I would say. If what is it, it that Trump said? I could shoot someone in the middle of Fifth <laughs> Avenue. But he actually did, it sounds like. Andrew Jackson was real. He was about that life. Well, it was dishonorable because it was done honorably until – he shot and his gun misfired, and then he just like reloaded and shot again, even though uh, a gun misfiring was considered your turn. Oh, yeah. That's why. 
when they did his autopsy, he had at least two or three bullets in his body. Mm. Way after the fact. Even uh, Abraham Lincoln almost dueled a politician because he had insulted him in a publication. There's three diff- three differing accounts of how that was settled, but it didn't happen in the end somehow. So they didn't fight? No. They were going to because he, he, he wrote into a newspaper anonymously just insulting this politician. But then the politician found out who did it, and he's like, we're going to fight. Oh, well, I can't really blame him. Yeah. Well, dueling took longer to die out in the South, where those who refused dueling challenges were publicly shamed for cowardice. Their names will be posted, and they say, this person is dishonorable and doesn't deserve any of your time or respect. Uh, Legislation and clergy tried to eliminate the practice, but only a shift in public opinion around the Civil War era caused it to finally subside in the U.S. This brings us to the growth of modern boxing. Boxing, along with wrestling, is one of the oldest combat sports in existence, but its popularity has changed a lot over time. Boxing got its start in the ancient Mediterranean world, then was adopted as an Olympic sport in the Greek city-states with formal equipment and rules. Popularity declined after the fall of Rome and throughout the medieval period, but it re-emerged in the 17th century and was maintained, and it maintained that popularity ever since. Modern boxing as we know it really began at the end of the 17th century when Londoners began documenting official fistfights as formal contests, and prize fighting became more regular. By 1719, the term boxing emerged, and by 1743, the first set of official guidelines was developed. These became known as the Broughton Rules, and they were created to make the sport a little safer, as many men were dying in the ring from traumatic injuries. Some examples of the rules include, once knocked down, a man cannot be hit a second time until he recovers. Matches require a referee, and some body parts are off-limits for punches, like below the belt. It's likely that the renewed public interest in boxing was brought about by the growing merchant and wealthy class who could afford to sponsor such events, and the state's tendency to limit the use of weapons in metropolitan areas. If you can't stab each other, why not just punch each other? Fair point. Another change came about in 1867 with the adoption of the Marquette of Queensbury rules, which includes these modifications to the sport. Fights were to be broken up into rounds. Each round lasts three minutes. One minute break between each round. Boxing rings were to be 24 square feet, or 24 foot square. Sorry. Yeah, that tripped me up in the article, yeah. and the article said 24 square feet, and I said, now wait a minute, that's like five by five. Yeah. You know, box someone in a five foot <laughs> ring, you'd be you know, feet hanging out of uh, past one rope or your head the other. But yeah, a 24 foot by 24 foot, so that's a big space. Uh, A 10-second count was to be given when a fighter was knocked down to give him a chance to recover. Gloves could be used to block punches. Gloves were to be standardized and regulated. Once gloves could be used to defend against punches, boxing stances morphed into what we see today. Boxers using the gloves tactically to cover their face or keep the opponent's punches from landing. This was a dramatic shift from the old style of boxing where men could hold their hands low. Even with new rules rules and improved safety, boxing was still looked down upon in much of the West. It was even banned in many places, being associated with gambling and seedy enterprises. Some, some things never change. And a lot of people were slow to adopt these new rules, preferring to host underground matches with bare knuckles and no regard for formality. But in 1891, the London National Sporting Club brought boxing to the forefront, adopting the Queensberry rules and improving the refereeing and judging aspects of the sport. This way, boxing matches could be judged using a uh, point system, rather than simply relying on knockouts. These changes made the sport more socially acceptable and gave fighters the chance to become professional. Pretty soon, newspapers started advertising 
and promoting these professionals. What really stands out as a symbol of boxing, boxing's acceptance in the 20th century is the fact that Teddy Roosevelt, an avid boxer, became president of the United States and even boxed in the White House occasionally. Teddy Roosevelt was originally involved in wrestling and boxing programs at Harvard, where he used at, which he used as a means of transforming himself from a scrawny young boy into one of America's manliest men. He remained dedicated to the sport until he was blinded in one of his eyes by a hard punch to the face. This injury was kept secret from the public for a decade in order to protect his image and the identity of his opponent. In 1908, Jack Johnson became the first black heavyweight boxing champion. This brought racial politics to the forefront of the sport, where it would remain for decades to come. By the 1920s, the prize money reached the one million mark for the first time for a fight between Jack Dempsey and Gene Tunney. After World War II, other weight classes got more attention. Sugar Ray Robinson, a featherweight, was a popular fighter during this period, as was his rival Jake LaMotta, whose career inspired the film Raging Bull starring Robert De Niro. Great film. The rise of television coincided with the rise of Muhammad Ali, which brought about the golden age of heavyweight boxing and introduced the world to, quote, trash talking. Mm-hmm. Understatement. Yeah, really. So that brings us to the world of fully com- commercialized violent sports like MMA, football, professional boxing. Uh, mixed martial arts, or MMA, is a fairly modern phenomenon, which came from the uh, discovery that each type of martial art, like karate, jiu-jitsu, boxing, had its own strengths and weaknesses. MMA seeks to combine different aspects of many different types of martial arts in order to create uh, the most deadly fighter, basically. MMA is characterized by its brutality and uh, more of a no-holds-barred approach. Instead of the boxing rules, which disallow punching while someone is on the ground, MMA showcases people getting punched while they're down all the time. Uh, as I was mentioning to Evan earlier, the uh, the classic Joe Rogan line, where he's, he's on the ground, he's full mount, full mount, he's really in trouble, Mike. You know, that's where that comes from because guys will just get right on top of the other and wail on him. Uh, it is probably more popular than boxing nowadays. Would uh, you say that? I, I had conflicting it, accounts on the internet. It, is, it has commonly been said that it's the fastest growing of, of that type of sport, you know, combat sport. Um, and maybe the fastest growing sport just in general. Uh, so it is definitely on like an accelerated path. Boxing has a longer history, but MMA is huge and the money is huge. Isn't UFC the main MMA yes. platform? Yeah, UFC is I think the biggest. And it's probably the, the one that most average people know about. But yeah, it's definitely big time. Okay. American football, it's debatable whether it's a fighting sport, but there's definitely blood and injury involved. So we're going to talk about it. It was first played between Rutgers and Princeton shortly after the Civil War as a combination of rugby and soccer. More rugby, but still. In 1892, Pudge Heffelfinger became the first professional football player by being paid $500 to play the game. Was that his annual salary? No, it was just for one game. Oh, wow. Okay. They said, we want $500 for you to be at this game. He said, okay. It was considered unethical at the time, and it was only 80 years after the fact that they actually admitted to this happening. Really? It was a secret for that long? Yeah, because it was against the rules. So they were what they were doing was against the, the code. But professional football grew quickly from that point on. The American Professional Football Conference was founded in 1920 between a, two, between a few teams from Ohio, Indiana, New York, and Illinois for better cooperation, standardized schedules, and a higher quality game. Two years later, it changed its name to the familiar NFL, National Football League. The Super Bowl was first held in 1967. It's been a huge commercial success every year, even oh, yeah. the first one. Currently, this is ridiculous, a quarterback, Patrick Mahomes, is the highest paid NFL athlete at $45 million per year. 
His total salary is about just short of $500 million over 10 or 11 years. Wow. That's his contract. That is an incredible amount of money. Wow. Almost a, almost a billionaire off of football. Ridiculous. Halfway there. Mm. I think the NBA has a rule you can't make more than a certain amount. Really? So, like, a few of the players, like LeBron, have maxed out their yeah. salary. Anyways, each Super Bowl is worth over a billion dollars. How things have changed. Yeah, from 500 to show up to a billion dollars. You win over $100,000 per person if you win the Super Bowl. Even if you sit on the bench? I don't know. Probably. A, a bunch of them, yeah, a bunch of them I'm sure do make a bunch of money off of that. Let's give you a quick rundown of the best fights from real life and some from myth because uh, myth is a a big important part of the human experience and people like to tell stories of other people fighting. So we'll start with one of the oldest, the Epic of Gilgamesh. It's a myth, obviously, but it is still awesome. Gilgamesh is basically a dude who is a swole demigod. It's a pretty good summary of who he is. The gods create this guy Enkidu to challenge him. Enkidu is like a wild beast, but he's seduced by a prostitute. He becomes self-aware, and then he fights Gilgamesh. But afterwards, they respect each other. They become best friends, and then they go off on adventures. It's a great, like, a bromance-type story. Uh, Andy Bowen versus Jack Burke boxing match. Now, this was real life. In 1893, Bowen and Burke went 110 rounds for a total of 7 hours and 19 minutes of fighting. The fight was called a draw since, at the time, a knockout was required for a win. Allegedly, each man lost about 10 pounds of body weight during the course of the fight, and Burke broke every bone in both hands. And I also read that around round 108, the referee said, all right, it doesn't look like there's a clear winner. If nothing happens in the next two rounds, I'm calling it a draw. And for the next two rounds, neither man got out of his corner. They just sat there exhausted. They just couldn't even fight. And so he said, all right, two rounds of nothing, it's a draw. So imagine seven hours of fighting, and you don't even get to win. But you went down in history. Then there's Tyson versus Holyfield. This is real life also. Their first bout in 1996 ended with a controversial win for Holyfield, but the real drama didn't happen until their second bout in the following year when Tyson bit a chunk out of Holyfield's ear. Tyson lost two points for that. The fight resumed, and then he bit the other ear. At that point, the fight was ended. Tyson was disqualified. Holyfield was declared victorious, and security had to get involved to keep the men apart. Tyson later insisted that the ear biting was done in retaliation for the headbutting Holyfield did earlier in the match, which was ruled unintentional by the referee. In the end, Tyson had his boxing license revoked and was fined $3 million for all that. Now, of course, it was later reinstated. He was back in boxing later, but that was a big drama at the time. Uh, Cyrano de Bergerac versus 100 of de Guiche's men. Now, this is from the play Cyrano de Bergerac, uh, but it's a pretty epic and and just really crazy fight here. Uh, it's not really a myth, more like fiction, but badass nonetheless. Armed with only a sword, Cyrano fought 100 enemies and slew them all. Call him the OG John Wick, or maybe even Beatrix Kiddo. So our last fight that we're going to mention is Muhammad Ali versus Joe Frazier. Happened in real life. This bout in 1971 lasted for 15 rounds, and the pummeling was intense both ways. Each was rumored dead after the fight was over. Ali represented the anti-war counterculture, and Frazier somehow represented the establishment. Frazier won by decision. It's funny how people just put those labels on. Like, I, I mean, I know that Ali was anti-war, but like, even if he hadn't really been, I think people would have tried to figure out some kind of angle. Yeah. You know, and they, like they tried to do the racial angle all the time. Well, they were both black in that case. Mm-hmm. But like Joe Frazier, he 
you couldn't really call him an establishment guy. I don't. I think he he probably didn't have establishment opinions. I don't he know. probably didn't even talk about politics, right? He probably just avoided it. Yeah. Okay. Are violent video games a fighting sport? Hmm, I question. would. Here's my answer. Sport is defined as an athletic activity requiring skill or physical prowess and often of a competitive nature. Sports must be athletic. Sitting in a chair while moving your fingers around doesn't count. It's meant to be an outlet for young male aggression, but in my opinion, it doesn't even help in that way. Video games are just that, games. I would agree with that. Uh, Video games also lack the contact aspect, so they aren't really like a contact sport. They can't be really a combat sport because you're not really there fighting. Uh, They display images of violence but are not inherently violent as nobody has ever hurt. Now, maybe if you had like a VR headset and some electroshock stuff set up that would give you real pain or real sensation when you were shooting or doing whatever in your game, maybe you could start to say, okay, this is kind of a violent sport. This is like a fighting sport. But absent of that, if it's just a screen and a controller, come on, man. Not really a combat sport. And why would, if it has virtual reality and electroshocks, why not just fight in person? Yeah, really. Why not? So what is the future of fighting sports? I would say there is a natural male drive to exert oneself physically and, yes, even to inflict some violence on others. Look at the rise of MMA on TV and jiu-jitsu gyms that are springing up in every city and almost every town. If one's country is at peace, many men, not all, will seek some sort of channel for their masculine tendencies. Let's face it, the modern world is not geared towards a fulfilling and honorable life for men anymore. You probably... This is going to get dark. (laughs) (laughs) And maybe a little bit personal. No, this isn't that personal to me. Most of this doesn't apply to me. Oh, okay. All right, fair. Fair. I feel like this applies to a lot of people. Okay. Men, you probably sit in an effeminate cubicle where you stare at a bright screen all day and take impersonal demands from your boss. Go home and eat a microwave dinner with your exhausted wife. Watch Netflix for a few hours to try to distract yourself from your meaningless existence. Stare at your cell phone for a while in bed until you fall asleep, then wake up again and start over. It's clear that men are increasingly unhappy in Western society, despite having more material comfort than ever and working less hours than your grandfather did. As we touched on in our rap episode, some young men turn to gangs for masculine brotherhood. Others get in bar fights. But I hope that adult men and young men turn to other outlets that are more productive and less criminal. You know, maybe just join the local gym to lift weights a few times a week. Sure. You could also go to a Brazilian jiu-jitsu gym and get strangled by other men a few days a week after work. Their, your malaise could be mitigated through physical activity and maybe even violent sport. Give it a try. Give it a try, please. Fighting sports will continue to grow in popularity, I think, uh, in the future, especially if the West keeps feminizing at the same rate. And I think we'll also see... Uh, more and more internet stars enter the ring like Jake Paul and KSI. Although, there is a chance that at some point these sports will be deemed too masculine and will be softened up or regulated or outright banned. It's, it's possible. Not necessarily likely, but possible. Uh, this won't actually stop them from happening, though. They'll just become Fight Club and eventually Project Mayhem. So what are our takeaways, Dan? I'd say uh, start off fighting sports and fighting in general have always been a part of human culture in a variety of forms. Most people have a primal desire to watch violence, if not partake in it themselves. Commercialized violence is a huge industry. That it is. The future of fighting is unclear. 
Will it remain physical or move into virtual arenas? And lastly, every man should know how to protect himself and his loved ones from harm. How do you know where you really stand? How do you know how you measure up if you've never been in a fight? To paraphrase Fight Club there. So lingering questions now. Will Evan and Dan have a rematch? Round two. Yes, definitely. Uh, You know, I'd... Maybe it's because it was more my forte, but I would really like to wrestle more with you. Right? Yeah, the doing just just focusing on wrestling, no punches. You know, that's a whole other skill set. So yeah. absolutely, I'd be down for that because uh, that's not something I'm versed in, and you are a little bit more prepared for that, I think. Yep. Uh, will Jake Paul ever be defeated? He's uh, four wins, no losses, and I'm just tired of seeing his face and hearing his <laughs> voice and him going out there and and fighting people. Someone needs to put him in his place because. He is as about annoying as they get. Yeah, I know next to nothing about him. Like, I heard he was doing this fighting, and he used to be a really annoying YouTuber. That's all I know about him. He's just an ass of a human. Why is he fighting people? He just decided one day, he's like, oh, I'm a tough guy now. I'm going to start boxing. Or I think it was a beef. It was internet beef, I think, between him and KSI, this other YouTuber. And he said, hey, man, let's just fight. I'm tired of... (laughs) your mouth. I'm tired of arguing with you online. Let's do this for real. And KSI said, oh, okay. And then they trained and they fought. And I want to say, and don't quote me on this, I think they had a rematch also. So they've had two fights. And then he's he's uh, gone up against some other people. And he didn't he do, I want to say he had that like exhibition with Floyd Mayweather. But I might be just imagining that. I, I can't remember. He fought somewhat famous. Uh, will pro fighting ever succumb to feminization? Well, there are females in the MMA and female boxing, and they're scary as can be. Yeah, Ronda Rousey, she's a little, she's a little scary. And there's some other ones I've seen fight. Now, I mean, you see them against each other, and you don't think about their size. They're relatively small women, you know, and like most men would be able to fight them, I think, pretty well. Most trained men, mm, you couldn't, you couldn't beat them up. I don't know, man. I'm not gonna say whether or not I could defeat Ronda Rousey, but I could probably give her a run for her money. I don't think Just so. on size alone. She's got skill. That's sure. You know, and a lot of those women have, have skill and they could kick you in the head. But mm, I don't know, man. Just I, tweet. How about you just tweet at her after this? I'm gonna, and... I will. I'm going to tweet Ronda Rousey, say, hey, meet me in the octagon. <laughs> now, will hand-to-hand combat ever become obsolete in the military? I thought of this earlier, decided to include it. That's, and that's kind of what we're talking about here with boxing, wrestling. It's all hand-to-hand, no weapons. But is that going away? It, it is not currently going away. I, I've heard Jocko Willink talk about it, that they still train in hand-to-hand combat. Like in the Marine boot camp, they do fight each other. They put on like the little protective yeah. helmet things. Well, good. And they like put boxing gloves on or they have like sticks that with like padded ends on them that they poke each other with. Yeah. Because there, there are going to be encounters where – it takes the physical element and the fighting element. Absolutely. And I would say the more specialized you get in special forces and things like that, where you are not just doing what you might call more routine military maneuvers. You know, it's not a big fighting force. It's smaller forces, more targeted, more discreet. There's greater chances, I think, within their sphere of operation where they will need to be close to people may not have a weapon on them or may not be able to access their weapon because they're incognito or whatever, and they may need to know how to uh, go hand-to-hand. So I think that's definitely going to stay there with special operations. And imagine you're having to break into a building and take some people out. Like, you might have to do hand-to-hand Yeah, you might. it's get, too close. Yeah, your weapon may be 
uh, jammed or it may just be taken from you or something. Yeah, there's but all sorts of possibilities. In general, I, I am worried about the military getting more feminized in general. Well, they're lowering uh, standards. That's they're, for they're sure. They're lowering standards and it's just the push, unpopular opinion here, but the push to get more women in the military is counterproductive. And pregnant women. Look up that debate yeah. from a couple months ago. Yeah, definitely. And uh, finally, who is the greatest fighter to ever live? You got any ideas? No clue, because I don't know much about this. I I would say that in recent memory, a lot of people would probably say Bruce Lee. Really? Yeah. Uh, maybe greatest martial artist. But then you could say, just based on the jokes alone, Chuck Norris. <laughs> uh, but there are like pro fighters that you know you would not want to mess with. And um, if we're talking about a greatest fighter ever, we got to look through back. You back through like thousands of years of history. And a lot of those records may have been lost of like who was like awesome, totally undefeated in these fights. So it's really hard to say who is the best hand-to-hand fighter uh, that ever lived. But what's crazy to think about is that there is someone out there at some point in history. There was a person who lived who was, whether we know it or not, the greatest fighter that there ever was. And that's cool to think about, that that guy existed. Because there is a top dog in every list of every group based on any criteria. And there is someone out there who has that title. Maybe one day we will figure it out. Maybe. Or maybe one day we will become that man. (laughs) We can only dream. (laughs) (laughs) Anything else you want to add before we wrap it up, man? I think that's about all I have. Take it away, then. That's all for today's show. Join us again next time for even more ancient wisdom. And more fighting.